Hello and welcome. Thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. My name is Sarah Gura and I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois, an EMDR therapist and yoga teacher. My practice is the self-care path in Burridge, Illinois, where I treat first responders. And today is season three, episode one with Deputy Chief Scott Nadenhoff. I first, as always, want to encourage people to get in tune with their breath. There is so much going on in the world, and the moment that our breath goes unnoticed and we are not aware of how we are breathing is the moment that we are no longer truly self-aware. And so I want you to take that nice, deep breath in, And when you exhale, just align your spine. Don't sit crooked. Don't lay down all jagged. Uh, Just allow yourself to lay down, sit down, or stand up with a nice, tall spine, neck and head in alignment. And again, just maybe allow yourself to take another breath in and exhale, pulling those shoulders down and away from the ears, and really just coming to your own center. And before I hit play... I want to tell you that on the First Responder Psychological Support Facebook page, you can watch this interview uh, as we recorded it on Zoom. Uh, But I am going to record the recording onto this podcast, which, you know, welcome to I'm a therapist, not a sound technician, (laughs) but I do hope that you enjoy it. All right, here we go. My name is Sarah Gura, and I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois, and I'm with Scott. Scott, can you introduce yourself? Hi, guys. My name is uh, Scott Nadenoff. I'm the Deputy Chief of Support Services for the Cary Police Department in uh, far northwest Illinois in the uh, McHenry County area. Beautiful. And I just wanted to maybe tell everybody how we met each other first. Uh, It was at a presentation and I heard you speak. I loved what you had to say, um, but maybe quick your version of that. Uh, so I, I've, been a, uh, I've been a proponent of first responder wellness for, for quite a while now. Um, I kind of fell into it by accident a little bit. Um, I, I was teaching a class completely unrelated to officer wellness and I was approached and asked, um, you know, someone said, hey, you, you are a pretty good instructor. Would you be interested in teaching this mental health first aid class to first responders? So I ended up going through um, I ended up going through some pretty uh, what I would consider in-depth mental health training to be able to teach that class. And I learned a lot about the impact um, uh, on first responders. And I'll be frank with you, I saw a lot of that in myself, you know, which we'll, we'll talk about later. Um you know, I saw a lot of that in myself, and, and especially as a boss, I thought, oh, hey, I, I can do better. Um, so through that, you know, I started presenting this this mental health first aid class and started wanting to learn a little bit more about um, first responder wellness and, and how we can do better in our organizations, um, you know, the things that we can do and how can we empower our people to do some things to keep themselves well. Um, I know it's, it's not a perfect system. It, it's far from a perfect system like you and I have talked about, but um, yeah, I, I enjoy I enjoy teaching. I, I teach a variety of topics, like from you know incident command to decision making, leadership tactics, all that good stuff, all the way to uh, mental health and 
Um, you know, I know just a little bit more than the average Pooh Bear about mental health. I, I don't know a lot about it, but, you know, I know enough to be dangerous. And, and obviously, I, it doesn't take a genius to figure out um, it's an issue in our line of work. It really is. Um, so, so yeah, I, I'm just I'm happy to be here and, and hopefully I can answer some questions for you and we'll have some fun. So speaking of like the presentation, there's some things that you have said in your presentation that I loved. Um, and I think it's of value to the community. Um, I don't know if you want to share that slide or if you just want to speak on one of those or a few of those main points that you make in your presentation. You know, so the presentation that Sarah's talking about, um, we did a, a presentation at a, a, a suicide awareness and prevention conference a few years ago. We were we were both presenters and um, I've seen Sarah present many times and, and her message is, is fantastic. Um, her, her, her message is great. Um, and one of the things that, that I talked about at this at this conference was um, the organizational factors and how um, first responder wellness relates to the overall health of your organization because you're only as good as your people. And, and one of the things that I talked about, um, and I'll, I'll share my screen here with you guys for a second. It, it's one of the things that I that I talked about was was values. I, I talked a lot about, values of the organization. Are you able to see that? Can you see that screen? Yeah. And, you know, obviously this is our, our mission, vision, and value statement for the Cary Police Department, and we live by this every day. It, it's more important than any any policy that I could possibly write, um, and, and we live by this. And, and um, what I find fascinating is when we go to hire an individual um, we're looking for that perfect human being. A lot of you will appreciate this because you've been through the background process. You know the types of questions we ask and what we're looking for. You have to go through a polygraph evaluation, a psychological evaluation. We, we go talk to your high school guidance counselor to figure out if you were a nice person in high school. So we're basically looking for the cream of the crop. We're looking for that that person that, that matches our values, you know, that we can bring in and matches our organizational values. And I apologize if I'm looking off camera, I'm looking at my screen here, you know, commitment, teamwork, courage, honor, accountability, compassion, courteous, all those things, those are important to us. Esprit de corps, believing in something bigger than, than yourself, a purpose. So we have these organizational values, um, do we live by them? And taking that even further, when we go to hire these individuals, I mean, this is very, this is this is profound here. These are the things we look for. When we do a background on, on a first responder, we want to know about all these things. What's your family background? What are your hobbies, friends? Do you do, you do extracurricular activities? Are you involved in your church? Do you volunteer? What's your education? All of these things that I would say make a, a well-rounded person. I think everybody would agree they make a well-rounded person. And we expect them to continue to do those things. We, we preach that to people that, hey, don't, don't lose your identity that you had before you became a first responder. Continue to do those things. But what happens is we get them, we bring them in, and their commitment to work goes through the roof because they're the least senior people in your agency, especially as new people. They work the worst shifts, so they're getting ordered in to work overtime. And what you see is everything that they did that made them an appealing candidate to us takes a backseat to work. Um, 
everything takes a backseat to work and, and the commitment to work goes through the roof. And we basically what we do is we take this person and you'll see this quote here from Dr. Kevin Gilmartin. If you if you haven't read his book, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement, highly, highly recommend it. Great book. I've seen him speak several times and he makes this point and it's so profound. We take good, well-rounded people with great values, very well-rounded, and we turn them into cops. We turn them into first responders. We mash them into, into our uh, culture at our agency, and then they don't, they're not healthy people, and then our cultures become unhealthy, and we wonder why. Um, it, it's, it, it's not that difficult <laughs> in, in my opinion, it's not that difficult to fix. Um, but we have to, it, it, we have to do more than just encourage people to, to stay well-rounded. We need to, and, and this is one of the things that, that I really like about what Sarah talks about is, um, you need to proactively, preemptively talk to people about the, the, the path that you're probably going down in this job and how important it is to remain proactive. Um, I'll tell you a story about my, myself. 14 weeks ago, 14 weeks ago, I, I'm sitting at work and I'm exhausted every day, every day. And one of the things that I preach to people is a pies model of resiliency. Are you doing something for yourself physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually to yeah. keep yourself well-rounded? I'm sitting at my desk and, um, you know, I'm tired. I'm tired all the time. I know I've gained weight. I'm unhappy, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and so I go home, I weigh myself and I'm heavier than I've ever been in my life, heavier than I've ever been, haven't worked out. And I realized I've been neglecting all of those things. The job had had taken over and, and it happens sometimes. So, you know, make a long story short, I committed myself to this, this 12 week nutritional reboot down 30 pounds, energy levels are through the roof, diet is back on track. But I'll be honest with you, I had to hit bottom to realize, Scott, this is not this is not good for you. This is not who you are. This is not the father you want to be, the husband you want to be, all those things. Um, you know, you, you, I had to hit bottom to realize it. So we all go through those ebbs and flows. But, um, you know, do you have a culture that, that, that catches that, that encourages people to, to be healthy, be whole? Um, very, very important to have that in place. I love that you mentioned the many parts of the human. And I feel like I am constantly reminding first responders that you are human first. You have to promote yourself to human status. This isn't a demotion. This isn't vulnerability. It is not weakness. And so I kind of was hoping that you could also speak about the human and what does your department do to help the human that's no. working? Yeah. We're, we're not perfect, okay? We're, we are, my, my agency, um, we, we are far from perfect. Um, the chief, my boss, um, so the chief and then the other deputy chief and I, you know, we, we really make it a point to um, treat people like people, um, not, you know, not just look at your, your employees as a number, as a person in a squad car. That's first and foremost. I mean, from top down, recognize that that besides being a police officer, these people are brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. Um, they all have things going on outside of work. Um, if there's any 
police officers or firefighters out there that make more money than you know what to do with, let me know and let me know if um, you're hiring because I'd love to come work there. We all have our we all have our own issues. We all have our own health issues, money issues, issues with kids, things things going on around the house, trouble with our car. We are human beings and you have to you have to keep that in perspective that these are human beings coming to a job that is incredibly demanding and your job is to deal with other people's problems. But that's just the reality. Your job is to deal with other people's problems and bring some stability to their chaos. And the reality of that is if you're not as whole as possible in your own life, that's going to be that much more difficult for you to deal with somebody else's problems. So, you know, we see, I, I have a theory. Um, I do not believe that, that the police officer that comes to work for the first 10 years of their career and does a really good job, writes thorough reports, interacts with people well, um, you know, is basically a, a model police officer at your organization. I don't believe that after 10 years that person flips a switch and says, hey, I enjoyed the first 10 years as a good employee. I'm going to try it as an asshole for the next 10. Something changed there. Something changed. Now, it could be in the personal life. It could be the professional life. It could be a combination of both. But that's a human being. That's a human being who has been through something, whatever that may be, that has changed them a little bit. And, and it's important that you know, we don't view those people as, as, hey, that's just garbage. That's a problem. We need to get them out of our organization. What we need to be saying is, you know, how do we, how do we help them? How do we help them get yeah. back to where they were? What doors can we open for them? And, and the first part of that is recognizing that, is recognizing like, hey, that's not how that, per I, I know that person. That's not how that person wants, wants to be. Something's going on there. So, yeah, very important. Um, we have, we have a chaplain program here. We obviously have our, our EAP, um, we maintain a list of, of professionals. We encourage our people to to talk to professionals. You know, we try to do um, we try to do the diffusions and the debriefings and things like that. But truthfully, what we found is nobody wants to sit in a room together and talk about what they just experienced. What they really need these are adults. They're smart people. What they really need is is resources and support. They they need to know. There are resources out there for you, and we support you using them. We're not going to force it on you. We're not going to make you sit in a room. Um, I, I think, I think we've kind of evolved beyond that. That um, you know, if you need some time off, if you need to take some some uh, intermittent FMLA or some FMLA or however you want to handle that, you know, we want you to be as as whole as possible when you're here because we're going to get better product from you. You're going to be better for us. Um, and I'll tell you a story. I remember walking through roll call. Um, this was years ago, walking through roll call and the shift starts at 2 p.m. 2 p.m. It was 1.55. So the cops shift hadn't even started yet. They were just early. And um, the dispatcher gets the, the sergeant for the oncoming shift on the radio and says, we're holding a call. Well, this officer knew that that call was going to be in their area. And their response was, I don't have the patience to deal with this bullshit today. Now you could look at that and say, that's just a, that guy's just a grumpy jerk. And, um, you know, he's just an asshole being an asshole, or you can look at it as something's going on there. That guy's not 
in a frame of mind to go out and help people today and, and serve people and do a good job today. So, you know, through a conversation, what we figured out was there was something pretty significant going on in that officer's life. And if they felt that they were able to take some time off, they would have. But because the shift was short, they didn't put in for the time off because they knew it would be denied. That's kind of that human side where we said, if you tell us what's going on, we are going to work with you. Um, and what we did is we, we came up with a way that they were able to take some time off that they needed to handle what they had to handle. Um, and number one, it was appreciated. Number two, um, we didn't put an officer out there that might get in trouble because they're already, you know, in a bad spot to go do their job. So, yeah, very good point that, you know, we are all human beings. We are all... Yeah. As I sit here talking to you right now, I'm working on a home refinance, some remodeling at my house, issues with the car, my kids' activities, and the 9,000 things that I have to do at work. And they're all battling around in my mind. So, yeah, yes. we're all in the same spot. I would, do you want me to keep this up on the screen, or can I take that down? No, you can take it down. Um, so what I wanted to, I hope I can remember everything to respond to, which is, my first thought is trauma brain. You know, even the first year of working with first responders for myself was, it's fun, it's exciting, it's new information, and and there's a thrill-seeking edge to it. Um, I can admit that. I was 27 years old, you know? Yeah, and we're then, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. couple, yeah. though, years yeah. into it, and I remembered feeling like, I really want people to be nice to each other. I would be in the line at the grocery store, and I'd be like, why don't you just be nice? I didn't say it, but these thoughts are in my head, you know? Yeah. Like, the world's shitty enough, you know? And then it got into this, you know, more emotional place where I could only hear about bad things at work, and I didn't want to hear about bad things at home. And so I noticed that about myself. And of course, now I feel even more of these different boundaries coming up or ways that I have to take care of myself, which are different than the first couple of years, right? Like I got to do my yoga and, and I have to get on my Peloton. That's the new thing. Yeah. And I have to have experiences with people where I'm expressing what I think and what I feel, not always as the listener. And sometimes that really highlights to me what trauma brain is is you, you have to be human in order to treat it, and you have to acknowledge your needs, your wants, your preferences, and you have to see the world in its many varieties as far as its different forms. Yeah. Because if all you do is see human illness, human death, human suffering, human stupidity, property destruction, you're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. The second yeah. thing. Oh, did you no, want I think if I can remember the second thing that I was thinking about as far as treating someone human is that we come from a generation where, uh, no, that's not how this works. We're not human. We are workers. And you're going to come here and you're going to be loyal and you're going to clock in, you'll clock out and you're going to come back. And if you use sick time or FMLA or God forbid a mental health day, there's something wrong with you. And we're trying to transition into this culture of just because you needed a day off, it's not it's not bad. Yeah. Just because you wanted to go to counseling, that's not bad. You know, ask for help. We're happy to help you. But I was wondering how if you can comment on that transition, we're trying to culturally change with no policy to back it up. Yeah, we are. That's a that's a good point. Um, 
A lot of it right now depends on the agency. It depends on the leadership of the agency, the philosophy of the agency, the policy, that type of thing. Um, when you say like policy to back it up, um, you know, you, you look at like, do you have statutory protections? Do you have protections from the law that allow you to, to you know, do those things and not fear for your job and, and negative job action, things like that? Um, you have collective bargaining agreements with unions that, you know, specify who can take time off and who can't. So, um, you know, I, I recognize like our agency is probably a little bit unique in that um, we, we do have good ethical people at, at the top of the agency that, that we, we really do look after our people. We, we take that um, kind of personal. We take it very seriously. Um, we can't we can't always accommodate every request. And, and sometimes we, we do have to say no or, or there there is a fork in the road, but we have to take one direction. We wish we didn't have to. But it is I, I do think it is getting better. Um, I, I definitely think it, it's it's getting better. We are, you know, humanizing people a little bit, recognizing that that, <laughs> that these are human beings and, and they do an incredibly difficult job. They're not robots that we put out there to do it. I mean, I've been there. I did the job for for many, many years and, and dealt with the, the tragedy. Um, there is some, you know, and you're the mental health professional, so I'll leave this this to you. But, you know, there is um, we are trained to turn off that emotion. I mean, I, I <laughs> it, you can't go to a call where a child has been abused or killed and cry. Because you have to be that stability for that family at that time. And um, what you don't realize is, is how, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? How, how that is so against your norm, your, your human norm, your human nature. Like your, your nature is to hurt for that person. And oh my gosh, this is terrible. But you have a job to do. And what, what you don't realize is that you know, it's okay to do that. It's business. We've got to go take care of business, but it's okay for that to bother you later. It's okay to talk about that later and deal with it later and say, you know, not only was this a terrible situation, but I had to suck it up when really inside I'm falling apart dealing with this. And um, I think that's where the, the culture has changed the most for the most good is the willingness to discuss it afterwards. And at least, that's where I've seen the biggest change is at least acknowledge now that sucked, right? Yeah. Not, not, not come back to the station and go and everybody sit in silence and, and everybody knows what everybody else is thinking. Now it's at least okay to go. That sucked like that. That really, that messed with me. That was not cool. I'm not sure that one's going to bug me for a few days. Um, I, we're better there. We're definitely better there. Um, I think I've told you the story before. I remember going to a, a murder scene in a neighboring town to back him up. Murder that just ha- just happened. I mean, the guy had just fled on foot and he, he murdered someone with a hammer. So imagine that scene. Imagine that scene. And coming back to the station, I, I was a brand new officer sitting there typing my report. And one of the bosses came in and, and they asked, do we, I won't use the language he used, but he's, he's like, do either of you sissies need to go talk to somebody because you saw a dead body? And I'm thinking to myself, well, if I did need to, I'm definitely not going to tell you and I'm not going to do it now. Um, so 
you know, I look at, I timestamp when that happened and I look at where we are now. And, and now, you know, at my agency, we have bosses who, if we sit down and ask someone, are you okay? We mean it. Like we, we mean it. Like we recognize what you just handled is not normal. We get that. And if you're not okay, maybe you're not, maybe you're fine today, but tomorrow or the next day or the day after something bugs you about that, let us know. Or if you don't want to let me know, here's some res- Do you at least know what your resources are to, to handle it constructively? The, those I, We're getting better. We are getting better. Yeah. Still not there. We're getting better because we're learning, obviously, what is a normal response to trauma. And exactly. one of the other things that I teach or talk about is the difference between feeling and sensing. So while you're being stoic, the feelings are back there because you have a job to do, you are still sensing everything, your eyes, your nose, any taste hanging in the air, the ears, the touch, the sixth sense that we have as a human, right? That transference that comes to us and we absorb that. If I ask a guy, you know, like, well, what were you feeling? Like, meh, you know, but if I say, what were you sensing? It was awful. fucking disgusting Sarah you know and then I'm like okay so there we go and I think to give people permission to have feelings about what they were sensing is significantly important because all of us have the potential for emotion but it's something that we are witnessing or something that we know about that triggers that emotion into a feeling and now it's like you're re-sensing the whole situation so I love how you put that and you acknowledge that, that, yeah, later we all may have to sit around and say, that was awful. Yeah. It was just awful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for different reasons and at different levels to different people, too. You know? Yeah. And so I also was hoping maybe you can comment. We've been through a lot, you know, as of the date of this podcast, 2020 was difficult <laughs> for many reasons that we don't need to get into that. Um But I'm curious uh, what your thoughts, now that we've seen everything so escalated, what, what's our two cents about first responder behavioral health? Oh, you know, um, well, like I said, I think we're getting better. I I do. I I think we're getting better. Um, You know, you and I have talked many times about uh, the system. We've talked many times about the system and there, there's no sugarcoating um, the, the workers' comp system, the, the way that that works. There's no sugarcoating that that is, is somewhat an adversarial process. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it is going to take some it is going to take some legislation. It is going to take some um, you know, maybe court decisions. It's going to take something to to kind of kick this in the butt, the right direction to where it goes. You know, you and I were talking earlier about, um, you know, if an officer falls and hurts their shoulder at work, um, it, it's it's a very similar process to an, an emotional or mental health injury, um, except that there's nothing physical that you can that you can rest on, right? Evidence wise, um, so we rely on people like you and professionals to to kind of boil it down, but. You know, if I were to hurt my shoulder at work, um, if I were to hurt my shoulder at work, I would go to a workers' comp doctor and and I would have to sign a release and they would look at my medical records to see if I've had any issues with that shoulder in the past and, and things like that. 
And with, with the mental health, um, I'll be frank with you. I, I think that the exposure is so great there that, um, you know, we're, we're putting these, like I said earlier, you're, you're taking this, this ideal person, you're taking this ideal person and you're putting them out and, and just by the very nature of their job, you're exposing them to this trauma over and over and over and over again. That's eventually going to have cumulative effect on that person. And I don't, I don't know what I, where do you, where do you accept responsibility for that, that full responsibility for someone who maybe can, can never do the job again, or maybe needs to be off work for two years in, in, a, in a therapy, you know, a therapeutic environment to be able to come back and do the job. Um, it, it's, it, there are pension issues that come into play. Um, but going back to the human side of it, I, I always, always preach this, like, Take a physical injury. I could knock on wood. I could leave work today and get in a car accident. And for whatever reason, my injuries render me incapable of doing my job. I, I suffer physical injuries. I don't have 20 years on yet, right? 20 years is that magic number. 20 and 50 or 25 and 55. That's what you hear from police officers. So I don't have my 20 in yet, but I can't come back to work. I, I do take some comfort in knowing that I'm vested in my pension and there would be a disability benefit that I could take. Now, I would have to go get another job and I would have to do something else to support my family. But um, my life as a, as a police officer would cease at that point. But my life as a human being would continue. My life as a husband, a friend, you know, a father, a brother, um, a son, that, that would all continue. And I think it's important you keep that in perspective because... It doesn't stop with this job. It doesn't. You, you know, you, you're you're so much more than this job, and it does start to consume you. Um, it, yeah, it's it's not a it's not a good process. It's not a friendly process right now to go through. But um, we're we're getting there. We, we are we are getting there. I, I think, you know, be be open, be honest. Don't be afraid to say, hey, that incident that incident affected me more than others, or I'm starting to have you know, this, this issue, you know, be open about that and let, let a professional like yourself or a, a psychologist, psychiatrist, let them, you know, talk to you, be open and honest with them and let them determine, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I think this is where the, the root of this is coming from. Maybe it's not work. Maybe it is, but at least you get healthy. <laughs> at least you, you, you get some answers and you get healthy just like you would if you were sick. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. I think you're hitting on such a an, an emotional reality, right? Where, you know, a couple of times I have seen the job take someone out of, out of the job for a psychological reason. And while we have something in place for the physical, right? Like Workman's Comp will send me a Form 45 and yeah. I look at it and I'm like, well, this is clearly for a physical injury. Yeah. Can you send me the form for a psychological injury? Oh, we don't have one, yeah. <laughs> you know, and we don't even have a policy to protect anybody from it. But you're right. Let's say that there was a physical or psychological injury that is permanent and you can't go back. This is why it's so important to take care of the human. Yep. You know, and our hope, of course, always is, oh, man, we have a trauma here. It's PTSD or some other issue. And a lot of times it's a normal response and we can treat it. 
But then right now, what I see is the process of understanding these injuries sometimes exacerbate or exacerbates the problem. I think that's a bigger topic than you and I can get into, um, but at least we're acknowledging the reality of where we're at and where we want to go. Yeah, you know, talking about talking about the the person and the human, I mentioned earlier um, pies. You know, physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual. So, you know, I talked a little bit about physically, like my my journey with that over the last few months, and realizing like, hey. Physically, you're not where you're supposed to be. What are you doing? I mean, I was the guy that worked out six days a week and power lifted and, you know, that all went by the wayside. Um, intellectually, I, I, I hate to break it to people, but I sometimes find this job very boring. Like everybody says, oh, it's exciting and this and that. A lot of times it's the same stuff. It's just different people. It's the same domestic, same car crashes, same this, same that. Um, and eventually you do kind of start to feel like you've mastered the job a little bit. So what do you do outside of here to challenge yourself to learn? Are you learning a new task? Um, you know, I, I remember one time in roll call, one of our guys, was he was talking about um, he was studying for the real estate exam. He wanted to be a, a real estate agent and people were making fun of him. Like, oh, don't you know, don't you make enough money here? Why would you want to do that? Blah, 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 blah. And his response was, I'm bored. I need something else to do. Um, so I, I think that is also something to keep in perspective. I, I don't know if there's a more siloed profession on the face of the earth. And what I mean by that is all the skills that you develop, or I should say most of the skills that you develop are specific to what we do. Now, there are some that are transferable. You know, the accident investigators try to make a whole bunch of money in the private sector reconstructing accidents or, you know, a, a, a CPR instructor or this instructor might try to go make money. But to your point about having opportunities outside of this job, what have you done to prepare yourself to be, maybe you get seven years into this and you say, you know what, had enough. I've had enough. Are you prepared do you have you given yourself enough skill set and prepared yourself to go do something else or do you feel trapped by the pension by the pension benefit and those types of things you know we can trap ourselves a little bit too that's one of the things i, I say to our, our younger officers is see the big picture where do you see yourself in 10 years not just here where do you see yourself in 10 years could that be somewhere else could it be another agency? Could it be a different line of work? That's what life is about. You know, the, we take these 25 year old kids and I'll call them kids because I'm starting to feel a little old when I see these young guys. We take the, these young kids and we say, hey, we're going to we're going to give you great benefits, great pay. This pension is a great benefit. All you got to do is stay for 25 years and you can collect at 55. 25 years is a long time. So it's work especially it's it's breaching a limit big time actually for this yeah, kind of work yeah. in my clinical opinion. Yeah, you have to you have to prepare yourself. You know, that's that intellectual side. And then obviously, you know, emotionally, what are you doing to keep yourself um, emotionally um, I guess resilient, I, I would say, because that's you know, we, we ride that roller coaster and then you know, spiritually, do you do you believe in something greater than just this this presence that we're here right now? doing this um you know spiritual spirituality i don't think always means religion you know it, it's do you believe in something a little bit bigger a greater purpose so 
um, very important to keep that in perspective. Yeah. I love that you said that too, but I know that's going to make a lot of people emotional because they started wanting to retire. They started wanting that pension. They started saying that's where the payoff is. But I agree with you because this is my 17th year, which is weird to say, 17 years of working in the mental health field full time. It's my 12th year with first responders. But at 17 years, I myself sometimes think about planting trees and learning how to cook finally. <laughs> like maybe, maybe I should heat my food up, you know? Um, so that that is important. And it's such a beautiful point to make that like, yes, we're human and life doesn't revolve around our careers the way it was sold to us. And if we can understand that, I think we'll be better off too. Really yeah. Yeah. So one last question. Is there anything else that you want to mention before we hang it up? You know, you, you had mentioned 2020 being a tough year. Um, it, it has been. You know, it's, it's been a stressful year. Um, I, I applaud all of our first responders, you know, and I, and I include medical staff and, and all that. I include them in that. Um, working through a global pandemic that'll probably be the only thing like that we'll ever see in our lifetime. That's pretty incredible. So you take the normal stress that you have in your personal life, you take the regular stress um, of your job, and then you add the stress of doing it during a pandemic. And, you know, we saw that at, at our agency. We saw the stress of the officer who has their mother-in-law living with them, who's going through chemo, and now they have to do their job, you know, during a pandemic and try not to bring that home. You know, it, it was it was a lot of stress, um, a lot of stress. It was an election year. Um, you know, you had mentioned earlier, you and I were talking and you had mentioned that legislation, that, that House bill. Um, you know, the, things are things are changing. Um, we need to we need to be flexible. We need to be adaptable. Um a lot of people are asking my opinion, what do you think about that 700 and some page house bill? And, and I've gone through the whole thing. And my response at this point is that is completely outside of my control. There's nothing I'm going to do to change that at this point. My job now is to digest it, try to understand what it means, see what it's going to mean for our operations and how we're going to do things. No doubt it's going to change some things. There's no doubt it's going to have an effect on that. Um, but it is beyond my control. I have, I have to, that is one of those things that I have to say, you know what? Now, now my energy needs to be focused on how are we going to adapt to this? Not mad and angry that it happened because it's done. It's going to go through. Um, our, our profession is, is starting to evolve pretty quick, and the only consistency is inconsistency. The only guarantee is change. Things are going to change, and, and people hate change, naturally, um, and that can that in and of itself can be a stressor, right, that, that these changes are coming. Um, we just have to recognize they're, out, they're outside of our control. We're going to have to do the best we possibly can now to operate within the, the new restrictions, the new guidelines that we've been given um we have to be smart about it, it it's going to be changed it, it yeah. there's no other way to say it so um no reason to stress about it no reason to to get upset about it just just deal with it i think that that was a super powerful answer and i'm choosing that word intentionally because 
you were saying I can't control. And one thing in the therapy office is their battle with power versus control. You know, you're supposed to control a scene. You're supposed to control someone in custody. We have to control a fire. We've got to control a patient's heart rate, you know, or something like this. And I tell them, okay, that's your work mentality and I understand, but go back to human. What is within your power? You can take those measurements, you can, you know, draw up that dose, you can provide the medication, uh, you can use your safety, you know, uh, knowledge and the tools that you're given, and that's where your power is. Yep. So that's what I meant by you gave a powerful answer to a situation that we cannot control. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the, the idea of control is a fallacy. We, we the, the idea of control is a fallacy that many of us struggle with, right? <laughs> uh, yes, yes. And uh, I, I feel so free when I say I got no control. It yeah. feels really good to me. It's scary to other people, but once once you get there, there's so much liberation. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, thank you so much for oh, joining pleasure. The whole first responder psychological support podcast. I'm gonna hit stop on record and just thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. My pleasure, Sarah. Thank you. Okay, that was the recording, and I want to piggyback off of what Scott said that 2020 was a very difficult year and he just took a moment to acknowledge first responders and all that they have been through and i second that and i thank you from the bottom of my heart as well uh, for your service and for everything that you are going through in order to help the community that you're responding to and I'm just going to remind everyone that my name is Sarah Gura, and I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois at the Self-Care Path in Burridge, Illinois, where I treat first responders. And I will tell you to take good care, to remember to do life so it doesn't do you, and to stay so safe. Okay, thanks. Bye.